Dissonance Media and the Other Stories presents Step into the abyss of After the Gloaming, a gothic fiction podcast that delves into the depths of human emotion. Unyielding love, revenge, internal struggles, and restless souls await you in nine haunting episodes where dread, fear, and rare glimpses of eerie happiness linger. Dare to listen on your favourite podcatcher? After the gloaming beckons, search now, but beware, innocence will be left behind. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. These aren't the stories your mother told you. No, these are the other stories. <laughs> Hibaksha, The Affected Written by Duncan Muggleton Narrated by Persephone Rose At the end of July 1945, a business meeting meant that Kumiko's father was away for over a week in Gokura, finalizing a merger deal that would mean their family's future was secured, should the war ever end. On the 6th of August of the same year, Hiroshima fell under the heel of America's nuclear boot. Although Hiroshima was a considerable loss to Japan, the Imperial Japanese Navy still closed in on the Allied targets undeterred. Having intercepted communique and gathered intelligence that Gokura was the next intended target, they evacuated its people, Kumiko's father included, to Nagasaki, the capital of the Kyushu Island. As the Boeing B-9, commanded by Major Charles Sweeney, approached Kokura, the town was obscured by cloud and dust from nearby Yawata, which had been subject to firebombing on the previous night. So, on the 9th of August, they reverted to their secondary target, Nagasaki, releasing the plutonium bomb, codenamed Fat Man, on its populace. Kumiko's father never made it back home. Kumiko's mother was within a few kilometers from the hypocenter whilst just five months pregnant with Kumiko. The mother and her unborn child would be designated Hibaksha in the years to come. 
Japan announced their surrender on the 15th of August, 1945. Kumiko's mother died of stomach cancer one year after Kumiko was born, and the child had no memories of the woman who was exposed to the concentrated radiation contained in the fallout. Kumiko was left in the care of her grandfather, who lived and worked in Tokyo. Since public ignorance of the time meant that many believed radiation sickness was hereditary or contagious, Kumiko struggled desperately to find work when her grandfather grew too old to run his restaurant. She couldn't afford to take on the business herself, but she was refused other work on the grounds that she was hibaksha. It was a term at which she recoiled, since it painted the deaths of her parents as a hindrance to the Japanese, rather than the tragedy it was supposed to be. Sometimes, she wished that her mother and her were with her father in Nagasaki, so that they could have died as a family, and not suffered through the rest of her years with her dignity revoked over something of which she had no control. She lost her grandfather to a different sickness before her 21st birthday, with the restaurant having closed its doors long before. Kumiko was forced to leave, unable to pay their collected debts. She offered to do any work in return for a roof over her head with anyone who would give her the time of day. Nothing. Not for her. She tried fake names, but was usually found out. She looked for others like her, but the search ended quickly when what little money she had ran out. The Japan Confederation of A and H bomb sufferers organizations had failed to convince the government to provide better support for Hibaksha. Sooner than she realized, her world became the streets of Tokyo, rummaging through garbage for food and sleeping in damp corners. Her world was a ruin. Decimated by an atomic invention that lived on even today. The world had no place for her now, though she had done nothing except be born. She starved and was close to death. Fallout of a different kind now threatened her life in the form of factories, industry, and exhausts. She was routinely ignored by face mask wearing strangers, young and old alike. She saw the exponential growth and effect of technology on the city her grandfather had called home. She saw children with their phones taking her picture and shaming her to an audience of many. Something called the internet. She lived on through sheer will alone, unable to stop watching it consume the city. She would often go several days without eating, and in those times she would see images or ghosts of things that weren't there. Spectres loomed over unsuspecting office workers. Invisible monsters stalked gangs of schoolchildren. Demons whispered unimaginable horrors in her ear. They came and went. But she learned to accept them as part of her reality, and a threat to all those who cast her aside and threw litter at her feet. They laughed through their white masks, assuming their grins were hidden, but their eyes betrayed them. Some would give her small change, or leftover sandwiches, or perhaps an unwanted pair of gloves. It would make them happy and proud, and eventually, Kumiko refused to accept such handouts. Instead, she commanded the spirit she now saw to eat their souls and plague their minds. She willed the suffering of every passerby so that they too would become victims of their own kind. She vowed revenge on the world, 
on America, on Japan, on everyone. She learned to converse with the ghosts and planned to lead an army of the underworld on an unsuspecting population. She had no one. Her world ended before she was born, and all she saw from alleyways and dumpsters was the all-consuming shroud of ignorance. She became weaker, slower, and misshapen from the years abusing her body with the absence of all but the essentials of life. She became invisible. She became incorporeal. She disappeared. Hello? A voice from somewhere back in the reel. Can you hear me? It took shape and formed the face of a young woman at least half her age. Are you hungry? Another imposter, thought Kumiko. Another self-righteous do-gooder helping feed her own self-worth. My name is Nanami. I work for Tell, and we're reaching out to the homeless to... Kumiko stopped listening. A ghoulish figure hung behind the young woman's head, grinning mischievously and dripping blood from its unseen eyes. Hibaksha, Kumiko whispered, croaking every syllable, her throat unused to the need to produce sound. I'm sorry, said Nanami, leaning in closer. Kumiko's throat was dry, and her breath was rife with decay. She spat at Nanami, cackling softly, showing her rotten and mostly missing teeth. Nanami jumped back in terrified surprise, her notion of the world shattered. She had tried to extend a hand to the needy, and the needy met her with disgust. This was not how it was supposed to be, Nanami thought. She wiped the sticky saliva from her cheek, feeling faint. Another person, a man, was accompanying her, and he was unsure how to handle the situation. He went from offering Nanami a hand to kneeling beside her to turning angrily to Kamiku for an explanation. He tried doing them all and ended up doing nothing. Ibaksha, Kumiko rasped. Nanami tried again. We're here to get you to a shelter and to get you some food. Would you like that? She spoke as if to a child, a child. Kumiko became filled with a renewed rage and the need to cave Nanami's head in and that of her dim-witted friend. She was too weak, of course. Kumiko didn't want shelter because then she couldn't watch the world eat itself up. She didn't want food because then the ghosts would vanish. She would need them. But her body had all but given up, and she was unable to stop herself from slipping into unconsciousness. Her outbursts had pushed her just over the edge of exhaustion, and she appeared as the dead. Kumiko awoke in a white room, strapped into a hospital bed. There was a tube in her nose and a drip feed attached to a needle in her arm. She screamed venomously, listening to it reverberate down numerous halls, presumably ending up in the ears of a nurse who came rushing in. Kumiko had been stripped of her rags and placed in a blue hospital gown. Her crooked body ached and shivered, and she continued to scream at the nurse until she left the room. 
the ghosts, the demons, and the monsters were gone. The pipe feeding into her arm provided the sustenance her body craved. Her stomach twisted and cramped painfully, and she pawed at the needle, feebly trying to remove it from her vein, but unable to find the strength. A doctor came in, accompanied by two nurses, likely the burliest that could be found at short notice. Ibaksha, Kumiko repeated. I have been made aware of this, said the doctor. I must extend my sympathies. Our country has done you a disservice. My own father was Hibaksha. But there is help available now. Kumiko shook her head as deftly as she was able, before screaming again. Her throat gurgled with bile as she threw up on her clean hospital gown. It stank of rot. The ghostly apparitions returned, surrounding each of the men dressed in sterile white with the haze of sickly death. The world around Kumiko was getting dim, whilst the ghosts grew brighter with each passing minute. She would join them, she decided, soon. At first, she hadn't seen their true faces. She saw them now, in the cold bareness of the hospital room. Her father, her mother, and the 200,000 souls forced out of their bodies by the bombs. They roamed the earth, uttering restless horrors to the subconscious minds of all its people. People that weren't victim to an exploding death in 1945. People that weren't overtaken with a sickness in the following months before they died of cancer. And people that weren't rejected by society for the mere act of surviving in the face of certain death. Kumiko would be with them, sowing an unease, a miasma of negative, stubborn thought process. She would help lead the lost souls to their final rest by steering the living towards another path of destruction. Their deaths would be fiery and hellish, their time on the world forgotten, with no one left standing to remember. Kumiko died in that hospital bed whispering the word that had been assigned to her kind against her will. She left the world knowing that even her own people would prefer it that way. Kumiko and the souls of her family invite themselves into the houses and minds of a generation that know little of them. She stands by bedsides, speaking of fear and anger in a new language, cursing the existence of the sleeping bodies. She wills the unsuspecting to do the bad things they secretly consider. She encourages the hatred for others they try to push away. She watches the world fall in on itself, its people out of control. She speaks to you now, that voice in your head, those inhuman imaginings that scare you during the night and during the quiet moments when you are alone. Do it, she says, you are evil. You are worthless. You aren't in control. None of us are. Do it. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Other Stories. Hibakusha, The Affected, written by Duncan Muggleton, narrated by Persephone Rose, edited by Carl Hughes, music by Oni, Eric Erica, and Sam Robson. For more of Duncan Muggleton's writings as well as his music, head over to Twitter and give him a follow. His username is at Duncan Muggleton. 
As you can probably tell, we've opened our chart topping internationally recognised podcasts to guest writers. If you've got a great idea for a story and you think our audience will love it, get in touch and send it over. If accepted, we'll get our fantastic narration team to lend their voices, our editor will sprinkle some magic pixie dust on the track, and you can have your story heard by thousands of listeners each and every week. Successful submissions will also be included in our ebook and print compilations. Upcoming deadlines include London Underground, Surgery, and Victorian England. So for more of that, head over to www.hawkandcleaver.com forward slash submissions. Once again, that's hawkandcleaver.com forward slash submissions. Until next time. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50-80% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.